This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the fire. Welcome to the fire, boys. My name is Parker McDonald. And I'm Walter Lee, and we'll be your hosts on this episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. If you're a new hunter trying to learn the basics, or you're a veteran woodsman just trying to get through your workday, there's always a place at our campfire for you. Speaking of the fire, we would love it if you guys would join our growing Patreon community and be a part of the best and only digital deer camp south of Mason Dixon Line. Come on. If you'd like to learn more, click on the link in the show notes. But for now, Walt, welcome, welcome to, to the fire. fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with what is hopefully episode three. We'll see how far we get here. It has been a debacle getting this thing off the grounds. My name is Walt. I am joined by a panel of guests that we are going to talk about a topic tonight. We're going to do a roundtable discussion just like we did last week. And and for everybody who reached out and said uh, all, so many kind things about last week, I was really thrilled that you guys enjoyed this format. So here we are again. We've got an agenda of items we want to pull through. And we're not going to do these every week, but uh, it's early season. Like for most people, we're, some folks are two weeks away from the kickoff of deer season. And in the Patreon group, we hear a lot about how people are unprepared. And so we're going to try and prepare you uh, with some sage wisdom. So I am joined by the one and only Parker McDonald, Matt Reeves, Brett Mashburn, and tonight's celebrity guest, Land Smathers. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Good. Rock and rolling. <laughs> We're still working on that intro, boys. Yeah, yeah. That was weak sauce. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Everybody goes, yeah, this is definitely episode three. I don't think I don't think people realize how hard it is to record mm-hmm. with five different people um, all in different places. Like, the latency issues are for real. Like, and I have never figured out a way 
to not make them happen. So when you got it, this this uh, this format of podcast and this uh, panel of people, that's just going to be one of the things. So we apologize in advance for the little interruptions. We have a little system that you might hear us talking. You might hear somebody say something like, I see you got your hand raised. We've got these little digital emoji hands that we can pop up. And uh, that helps us try to not do that, but uh, it's going to be inevitable. I think, boys, we're yeah. it's, it's always going to be that way. I don't see that changing. No, no. And we'll just embrace it and run with it. But um, yeah. So last week, we were really bad about our housekeeping. We're going to knock the housekeeping out right here at the beginning of this. Uh, I have got Patreon. Thank you. So you heard in the intro, we have a digital deer camp, digital hunt camp. We would love you to be a part of it. All that money goes right back into the production value of this podcast. It allows us to grow the business and and offer you guys more. And if talking about more, you're wondering what that looks like. You're listening to it now, but go look at Matt and Parker's hard work at the YouTube channel. Those guys are dropping some of the best content, I think, uh, on YouTube. I can brag on them because they're editing all my stuff, polishing my turds. So it's awesome. Y'all go over there and check it out. But one of the benefits we provide you uh, is a shout out on the podcast. So we're going to crank out four more. Andrew Moody, Brady Holcomb, Jacob Bliss, and Giuseppe Caputo. I hope I said your name right. I Googled it beforehand. That's what it said I was supposed to say. So um, (laughs) those guys all joined up the last two weeks, and we just want to say thanks to you guys. And in addition to that, we got a giveaway. This isn't the big giveaway that we teased. That's coming down the pipe. Uh, But we're going to be giving away a 12-pack of Zinger Standard Diameter Fletchings. So this is what we're going to do. Land. And give me a number between 1 and 84. 83. Todd, congratulations, sir. I hope you shoot standard diameter arrows. I got a pack of zingers coming your way. So uh, that he's actually like darn new in the group. So how about Todd. that? Heck yeah. Come on. Awesome. So we'll, we'll count that as a shout out as well. Thank you, Todd, for joining Patreon. So I'll get that out to you probably around turkey season. Congrats, Todd. No. We're happy for you. Use them next year. <laughs> Land, I am notoriously bad at shipping things. I've gotten significantly better recently, but uh, there was a time there where it was a joke that I never ship anything, and it was pretty true. So, yeah. Well, uh, you said 1 through 84, and 83 popped up, and I said, Dad, gummit, right after I said it. I should have gone 39. I'm, I'm happy for Todd. Who would it have been if he would have went 39, Walter? It would have been. Hold on. Well, yeah, I'm not going to say his name out loud. <laughs> no, say it out loud. Say it out loud. It would have been Kyle Matt Vidges. Matt Vidges. M A T V E J S. Kyle. Tough so, luck, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> next time, luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what was your next number? I'm- not really. <laughs> it would have been BZ. <laughs> oh, man. Well, so uh, seriously, though, thank you guys to everybody who helped support the show. We we really appreciate it with this new launch. It's really helped us uh, get to where we need to be and uh, get this production up and going. And along those lines, the title sponsor of the podcast is Tethered. If you want some of the lightest weight, Matt, what was what was the phrase that you had for the for the lockdown saddle? What would you say? It leans like a phantom, but sits like a lawn chair. And that's true. I mean, I sat in it the whole show, loved the thing. 
Wow. Thing's wicked. Thing is wicked. In fact, Matt, whenever things would get slow, he would get up in there and kind of pull people in, pretending like he wasn't working the booth. He'd get up in the saddle and just swing back to back. And then somebody would come up and start talking to him all comfortable. He'd be like, hey, man, get on in this thing. Let me tell you all Go about fishing, it. man. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll do some more housekeeping along the way, but we got two of them right off the bat. Gentlemen, it is over 100 degrees, real feel, everywhere in the country right now. I am planning to move to get away from it. We talked about that briefly before we hit record. That only means one thing, and that means thermocells, bow season, and the opportunity at bucks in their summer patterns. And that's going to be today's topic. Pre-season, right before the season, or in-season scouting. Um, I'm going to kick this off. Oh, Land, <laughs> Land, you got your hands up. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> hey. I have never actually tried like one of the modern saddles. The only thing I ever tried that was close to a saddle was, have you ever heard of the old sit drag? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The only thing that I ever tried that resembled a saddle. And that has been my experience with the saddle. I've yet to even like demo one, like sit in one at a show or anything. So I'm tossing around the idea, but I just, I haven't been convinced just from what I see. You want me to send you mine to to try? Do what? You want me to send you one to try? Will it fit my narrow ass? Oh, yeah. It'll fit mine. Yeah. Okay. What size size waist you are? 32. Oh, that's skinny. It's the weirdest weirdest tethered ad we've ever had. (laughs) I'm a 34. (laughs) So. I, I've got a big tuchus. I'm all thighs and, and butt cheeks, basically. And so I, I use the tethered uh, Phantom XL right now. It's the one I've got. Um, it might be a little big on you, but it's not going to be uncomfortable. If anything, it's just going to grab you. Like It's going to be even more like a hammock. Uh, they make a smaller size. But I can send it to you, and you can try it. Yeah, I'd love to try one, man. I just It's, it's one of those things, and I don't want to bash them, but the price point is kind of one of those things where you're like, do I want to try that? And then if I don't like it, I've dropped what is a Phantom's what, like three ninety nine, two ninety nine, something like that. Two and some change, yeah. Yeah. So and then I don't know. I just haven't done it. But well, I would I, like I'm I tell afraid you, to do it. I'm gonna like hang my hang and hunt sets and make them like permanent. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send this one to you sometime this turkey season and you can try it on and if you like it you got to come on the podcast and tell everybody about it if you don't like it i'm just gonna pretend like i never sent it to you okay okay well everybody sending things so i might not ever get it so (laughs) that would be awesome i'm i'm ready to be convinced but brought to you by tethered (laughs) so That would be awesome. <laughs> we also should say this too. The, uh, land is not just living underneath a rock. Uh, land, I think the most most of the times that you've come on to my to to Southern Ground podcast uh, in the past was to talk about ground hunting, and so that's a lot of your style is hunting from the ground. People who might not know that about you um, now they 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 kind of know. It's not like you haven't had the opportunity to try on saddles or whatever. 
It's just uh, that's not really necessarily your style. But I think it's really cool is that um, seeing kind of that side of you, I guess, kind of talk more about like like being willing to adapt. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, I've always admired your style of deer hunting because it seems like you're a very adaptable guy. And, um, you know, you, you understand the value in having multiple, uh, tools in your belt. And so, um, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, that's a, a little bit about, um, of what I know about land. And, and one of the reasons why I am excited to talk to you every single time, man, anytime that, that we can is because, uh, I know you know your stuff about these southern deer, and uh, I think a lot of that is your, just your willing and willingness to adapt to the situation. So, uh, brought to you by Tethered, um, this this part of the ad was sponsored by Land. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think you're I, I think you're a heck of a deer hunter, dude, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say on this topic. Well, I appreciate it, man. Um, it, you know, another thing about it is a lot of the times when I'm hunting, especially on the ground for with a rifle, most of the time I'm sitting like behind a tree and mm-hmm. leaning tree as a rest. So with that saddle, it seems logical that it would be awesome to, you know, do the same setup I'm doing, but just use that saddle saddle from the ground to sit in. And still use like the, the I don't I don't even know the terminology for the road. I think the bridge maybe is the one that comes up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Against the tree to help brace this for the shot and all that too. So seems like a great idea. Seems like a great thing. So let's do this. Let's kick it off. Uh because I think I'm curious to hear now that you've teed that up, Parker, how his tactics might differ from ours, given that our approach is entirely different. I admire the ground hunter. I, I just don't have the confidence in doing it. Um, so we're talking early season, boys. We're talking summer patterns. We're talking the tail end of the bachelor groups. Uh, I'm going to kick it off, kick this dialogue off and you can take it where you want to. And, and as per the last episode, we'll all kind of give our feedback to what that individual says. So Matt, I'm going to start with you tonight. Your, your in season, early season scouting, that, that, that critical time period before that big shift occurs. What's that look like for you? Yeah, so I mean, as as we all have said before, we use trail cameras, uh, and we do see that big shift. Um, for me, um, I, I always like to focus for the first hot acre tree. That's that's really where I lean. But we and not to touch too much on what we jumped in last week, but I get really so- excited on early bed to feed patterns, um, whether it be you know acorns or like we posted in our story the other other day, just regular vegetation um, throughout the woods. You know, I'm really focusing on that. I mean, I'm in the woods a lot with my job, so I'm able to see when these shifts um, of food sources change. Um, So that's really, you know, I I have a lot more time in the woods than their average Joe, because that is my job is to be in the woods. So I'm constantly, when I'm walking, I'm looking for that browse. I'm looking for what they're eating when the acorns aren't dropping, you know, they'll, what leaves they're eating off of green briar, et cetera. That's really where I'm spending my time. Now, when I'm, when I'm walking into the stand looking for fresh sign, you know, most, most of that is on these trails coming out of bedding areas, um, looking for droppings, looking for fresh tracks. Um, I really discounted the, um, fresh track, um, scouting method for a long time because you, 
used to growing up as a kid. Yeah, Parker. I was going to say, uh, I feel like maybe you are going into this, but talk a little bit about the Kentucky hunt last year and kind of the things that you that you learned. You, you kind of hinted at it about droppings and um, and tracks, but and maybe you were going into there, but I think that's a perfect example of exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, you know, I was headed to the significance of a track. You know, used to I used to see a track and just be like, oh, a, de- a deer's walk through here. I've never never aged a track. You know, thought thought about that. That hey, this was in the last day. This was this morning. You know, little things like that when they're not laying a bunch of feed sign. Um, but with with the drop, if you can find fresh tracks with droppings, you know that deer's been there within the last twenty four hours. Especially if you have like one of these pop up rain showers that comes in constantly, you know, in the early season. Like right now, if I'm scouting and I see fresh droppings, I know that deer's been there within the last twelve hours because of how much rain we're getting right now. And that's you know, I'm I'm planning a scouting trip. I think the week after I get back from Kentucky to go check some places out. So things I'm going to focus on are, you know, looking at creek crossings, looking uh, where old scrapes are, opening those scrapes up because uh, those deer are still using those during during the season. So I've I, I focus whether whether it be food or not. I'm I'll hunt scrapes early season. That's just that's just me. Um, and if that's you know that's too plain of an answer. That's just kind of how simple I like to make it. Matt, you, you're talking about hunting scrapes early season. Are you talking, um, you're talking about Alabama? Yeah. I'm assuming yeah, that's yeah, kind of where you're, you're, you're talking about the Southern, uh, Southern deer. Um, we just put out a video today of a buck that you killed on a scrape. It was a rut scrape, yeah. but and I also know that you you also uh, use a lot of uh, cell cams on scrapes. That's a lot of the places that you put mm-hmm. your cell camera. Um, have you just had a, a significant amount of success on scrapes throughout the season to to not write it off? Yeah, as far as finding bucks and locating them, you know, I'm no you know big buck early season killer or anything, but I've had too many instances where they're checking those scrapes, whether it's because it's a travel corridor where they feel comfortable, that just really kind of hones in those deer because they could be anywhere early season really without a concentrated food source that you know about. Um, because are you looking for a particular type of scrape in the early season? Um, you usually I just look for an old big community scrape, you know, that's at least, you know, four foot in diameter, and then I make it bigger myself. Um, I'm gonna freshen that thing up get the get the dirt going because i mean say somebody tills up a food plot or a uh field is tilled up on a wma that that's fresh dirt those deer are curious they're going to come in and they're going to walk all through that dirt whether there's something to eat there or not they're curious about the smell because they live through their nose they're just there so if i can if i can scrape up fresh dirt in the woods to make these deer think you know that something's going on or even get some of those old scents that they had put in, you know, that scrape during the rut that really seems to attract those deer to come through that area. Matt, where are you looking to find these scrapes? Because I find a lot of scrapes that are, that <clears throat> you put a camera up and you don't get any kind of activity on that. And last year uh, I started stumbling on some scrapes largely with Brett when I was scouting with Brett 
and that seem to have year-round usage. And you hear other people in the industry talk about these scrapes that it can be very huntable year-round. Is there a particular area that you're honing in on that, that like, if you were looking at on X, you'd be like, boom, that's where I want to go? Yeah, mo- most of the time, like, if you just find a scrape in a drainage or a big hollow, that's going to be your nighttime activity. And, I mean, most of the time you can walk off any road um, on public land or private land into a big bottom and there's going to be a scrape with some rubs on it. That's great, you know, but those that's not, to me, a main travel corridor for the early season for those deer. That's more rut, rut time activity. So I'm trying to find these pre-rut scrapes that are closer to the bedding areas. So like the other day I was going through the woods and I was walking right up next to a bedding area and there was a big beech tree. Parker, you and I have talked about this. I call it a money tree because um, there's usually three or four scrapes that are under these trees, you know, as as the season goes. And I, I open that sucker up. I mean, I get obnoxious with it and hang a camera on it. And that, and that you know, if it's close to cover, those deer aren't moving very far right now. And it, you know, that's what's worked for me. You've got these. Um, that's what I was trying to get to is, is those scrapes close to bedding areas um a lot of times i I heard andre DeQuisto talk about it uh at one point several years ago on a podcast uh he was he was kind of talking about um community scrapes and a lot of the time the licking branch in the early season is actually the the thing that you're looking for um is that licking branch is where where they're kind of establishing their um their order their dominance order Mm -hmm. and and so one one of the things that I've that I have actually seen is like you see these spots that look like scrapes, especially in that like October time frame. It looks like a scrape that's kind of been opened up. Like you can see it on the ground and it's where a scrape should be. You know, everything lines up and, and you can see the broken branches and it looks like it's been, you know, twisted up and freshly broken, but the scrape doesn't look fresh at all. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? And what he talked yeah. about was that a lot of times they're not actually pawing at it um, and they're not like pawing at it and pissing at it all the time. They're just standing there. And so every deer coming through there to stand there and work that licking branch is actually what you're looking for. And so um, with that being said, he also mentioned those type of spots being like money early season because it is an esta- a dominance establishing time that, every buck in that area at some point within a short amount of time is going to come and freshen it up and check it and, you know, work that licking branch. It's, it's an interesting concept and I've seen them. Ha- I've, I've seen them, you know, especially in Kentucky early season, I've seen them there uh, because there's just a, a, a little bit higher deer density. Probably the scrapes are in more, uh, I don't know, uh, common places i guess yeah yeah Yeah, like you find a field edge in kentucky it's probably got scrapes on it right um that kind of stuff it's not always the case here in alabama um but i have found those type of scrapes and while i i'm i'm not i have never hunted them like i've never it's never been a type of thing where i've actually went in and experienced this but i have seen them i've come across them and apparently early season, that can be a, kind of a, a golden ticket is finding that licking branch. Yeah. And you say the licking branch that, that just, you know, light bulb off of my head. I mean, I, I run cam, I ran a camera on a scrape last year from June to, to January. 
Um, I put it on video mode. There was a handful of times where they actually pawed and made a scrape. And that was right when, you know, chasing activity was going on. But like I have a doe right now that's coming and she's stopping in front of it, licking on the branch, biting it, doing all those things. And then the bucks come in that they just they know who's there and when they're there. And that, that really helps me locate these deer and kind of where they're living. How often do you kill a deer on that scrape? Are you hunting uh, proximity to that scrape? I'm curious. Um, I try to hunt in a proximity to it. Um, there's a couple of times where I've hunted right over them and they've, they've come right through. And, you know, that's just, it's telling me that bucks are traveling in that area, whether I'm in, within a 200 yard range of that or not. Um, they're just coming, you know, I mean, they, that's the way they're traveling. I've, I've seen a lot of deer coming through on those scrapes early season land of of you've been quiet over there in the corner in your dark corner over oh, there. Uh, but i i've i'm thinking about some of the things that i've heard you talk about and uh like uh, hunting creek crossings and and things like that one of the one example that i i i'm pretty sure it was it was something like this like it was a creek drainage between um between two clear cuts or something like that and you're hunting this uh, a creek crossing, um, but I, I know that's a big part of, of how you hunt is creek crossings. Where do these? Uh, Matt's talked a lot about scrapes. I'm I'm interested to know for you in Mississippi, do scrapes come into play at all early season during that? In the kind of places that you're hunting, not generally, and it may be part uh, of the the issue where I, a lot of times where I'm hunting scouting is not um, what you consider like a uh, destination type area or feed zone. That's more of like a transition. A lot of times I see those licking branches and scrapes and stuff in high concentration areas, like around feed trees or something. One thing that I see a ton of is like, um, little privet hedge bushes and stuff, not much bigger than your middle finger that are just thrashed. Like when I see one of those, I know I'm getting close to an area where deer hang out because you'll see them do those a lot and make those when they're around other bucks and other deer. It's kind of like an aggression thing almost. And I see those a ton in early season. A lot of times you won't even see anything more than like the first six, eight inches of it sticking out of the ground where it's just been ripped out of the ground pretty much. Yep. Um, I don't see a ton of scrapes, but I'm sure they're doing that. It's just, I'm not in the areas where they're making those scrapes. Um, if I def- if I could find a scrape in early October, mid-October, you better believe I would be putting, I would be very interested in that area. Um, but like he was saying, um, it seems like a lot of times, even during the rut, those scrapes are more of like nighttime areas where those deer are checking as around food sources and uh, in their travels back and forth. Uh, most of the time I'm hunting in an area where, a deer's not really spending a lot of time. Like he's coming out of bed and he's passing by me going to the destination. So I've kind of refined that over the years because that allows me to, once it gets dark, slip out the back door. Mm. Whereas put myself around food, I end up getting sitting in a tree for hour, hour and a half after dark, waiting on deer to leave, you know? And I'm a big fan. I like to be able to see what's around me rather than sit in the dark and listen to crickets and bugs and 
deer blowing at me or something, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that just establishes like for me with early season, I think you can hear a lot of people talk about early season scrapes. And while I think scrapes should probably come into play for everybody, um, it's just like that early season. I, when I think scrapes really should come into play for everybody is like what you're saying, land like that late October um, here where we're at in Alabama and a lot of places in the South with a December, January rut, November ish range. You start finding those, those high concentrations of scrapes that can be awesome. You know, you should definitely keep those in mind. Um, but you know, like the difference in what Matt and land are talking about. And I've heard it, multiple times i know a lot of people who love hunting scrapes early season matt and that's like they're that's like the bread and butter because because of the things we just talked about but for me I'm, I'm more like land in this situation you know where i'm I, I find myself not really necessarily being drawn to the early season scrape um for for a lot of the same same reasons you mentioned i think i think a lot of our that's why it's so cool to have this roundtable discussion to me is because everybody kind of has different things that you're that you're uh that, that you focus on right and and at the end of the day most of us have been successful doing these things but it's kind of like what we talked about last week uh with a split shot on was uh, you know mornings versus evenings and one guy might say i don't see any deer in the evenings and another guy might say i see all the deer in the evenings and it's just simply the type of spots that you're drawn to i think like you it you develop a hunting style whether you realize it or not um and and sometimes you're just drawn to the places that uh, have those certain factors, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. Brett, I want to ask you a question real quick. I know you, uh, we've ran through some trail cameras and stuff together. Uh, you're putting your cameras a lot of times right there in their bedroom and they're coming by. Are you are you making a mock scrape or anything to get them to stop in there or, or is it just on a trail? No, I'm only using trails where multiple trails come together in an area and i don't want to put mock scrapes out because i don't want people to home in on areas i'm hunting Mm, that's kind of how i look at it yeah i'm already hunting the deer where they want to be so i don't not necessarily making something to draw them in Mm -hmm. that's a good interesting thought actually Uh because Brett, the, so I'm going to push on that a little further. The places you hunt, I don't feel like you ever talk about running into people. So do you get on these in these areas where you're super careful about them? Are you running into a lot of people? Is that a concern? Uh, not a lot of people, but it usually happens once a year. But as much time as I put in to find these spots, even if it's one person and they were to key in on it because I put a bunch of sign in there. That would be kind of heartbreaking after all the miles and I hours see that. I put in every year. I could totally see that. You know, in all the podcasts I've ever listened to, recorded, I've never heard somebody have that reasoning. I don't think of like, no, I don't put up scrapes because I don't freaking want people looking at my spot. That makes yeah. a whole I've lot had, of sense. I've had people stop and take pictures of it or, yeah, you know, sure. like, hey, this is awesome. And I'm like, get on. That a deer didn't make that. that yeah, was but, me. It's, but it's your fault. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like we all yeah. do it. We're all going to be like, oh, scrape. You know, like there's a buck somewhere around here, and we're going to key in on those places. You know, it, that's a that's a nice little underground tactic. I, I feel like it's underground, even though it's entirely like logical. It makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, Walt 
if you think about it, the scrape that we found, yeah, they were hammering it just before season coming into early season. And I ended up sitting there the opening morning. I ended up seeing like eight deer, but I had a guy try to come in on me twice. Yep. Then it went long after that. It was almost like every other week or something, you had same guy standing at the scrape just looking at it. And then next time I went in there, there was ladder stands all in there. You know, and, yeah. people started blowing it up and the bucks left. So He's right. Yeah. One of the only places I've ever been to that I really felt like hunting a scrape was I, I guess like standard for the place is is in Kentucky. Um like in the hill country of Kentucky, you find these saddles, you find these benches, um, and then you find a scrape. That's pretty much how it works. Like it's 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 a pretty easy formula, um, and it works right. Like in in those places with a higher um, maybe buck ratio or a higher age structure, uh, maybe you get a little more aggression in there. And so, I mean, it it, it really is uh, covered in sign out there, and so you're really trying to key in on these, uh, these different types of scrapes. But the thing that I can tell you is that literally every hunter on that place is marking every saddle on his maps, mm-hmm. every saddle he can find and every bench he can find. Um, and, and looking for those scrapes. So, so what you've done when you, when you've made scrapes, and I'm not trying to discount you, Matt, for your, for your idea. It's obviously oh, no, you you're, out a, a you're video, fine. you're shooting a big Alabama buck on public with a, you know, in the middle of a scrape. So I'm not trying to discount you, but I will say that in those places like that in Kentucky, where I am keying in on, keying in on, uh, on scrapes, I run into a lot more people because, because that's everybody, most decent hunters, right. And I say decent lightly, um, or loosely, most decent hunters, no saddles, benches scrapes right like we can all pretty much agree with that um and so we're all looking for it yeah um i i want to kind of shift off the scrapes i guess since i just was pummeled on that <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding no that was <laughs> since nobody was freaking great. likes my idea <laughs> no i i want to i want to ask land a question with him being um from the areas with it being uh a good bit of flat land and swamp stuff. How early are you finding major food sources like in your early season um, hunts, you know, whether it be acorns, persimmon trees, you know, what, what are you seeing usually that that's dropping first or what the deer are hitting first? Generally speaking, it's going to be water oaks is when you really start seeing heavy feed sign. Cause mm-hmm. I'd from like, browse lines and stuff like that because there's other than browse there's really not any identifiable like food source early season until the water oaks start dropping then you can start seeing that actual you know heavy feed sign so it's depending on the year this year we had a dry spell for like two weeks that's the dress we've been all summer some summers it's like drought conditions and the browse just withers and the the quality of it dies off and then they start going towards water where more of that aquatic vegetation is mm-hmm. and you can browse and heavy along the water right there but this year we're we've been very blessed with a lot of water 
and rain. So the browse is like, it's like a jungle. I don't know how it is where y'all are at right now, but over yeah. here it is insane. So there's a, just a, a bounty of food everywhere for them. Um, and that's, that's what they're going to be on until the acorns start dropping. And then you can actually try to like get, put yourself in front of them because right now they can brand, they can leave a bedding area and go any direction they want on the cardinal, you know, I mean, they yeah. go and they got food everywhere. They might not even have to leave, especially if they've got, I know most of their water, uh, consumption comes from the browse they're eating, which they're getting good this time of year. But if you can find those spots where they can eat and drink within it, then it's hard to draw them outside of the bedding mm-hmm. area, outside of those oaks. So, you know, in Mississippi, we've got, starting last year, we had the September velvet season. It's the 15th through the 17th, three days. Um, and that's about the time the water oaks start dropping. The problem is you can't plan for it because you don't know which water oak is going to be dropping like within that period. There's a million water oaks, but that early, it's going to be just a select few of them. Mm-hmm. So that, that whether or not I go for that hunt is going to be dependent on how the water oak situation is. Cause there's really not much else dropping at that time of the year other than persimmons. Um, persimmons are great, but they're few and far between around here. We've got them, but a lot of them don't set up in a situation where you, you, you could kill a deer on them just mm-hmm. because. There's very few of them that are near bedding. Um, it's that that's that's that one's that one's a lot tougher. You can definitely kill does, but that velvet season is bucks only. You know, so um, I'm not. I, lo- I, I love that you didn't say, but I don't kill does. You said they don't let me kill does. Shooting <laughs> <laughs> does. That's how you get but, invited back, land. Yes, I'm a. <laughs> so. I don't know. It's that, that early season is it's it's really tough. Uh, dry years, it's awesome because you know where they're going to be as soon as that first water oak starts dropping. It's like it might as well be a feeder, like a corn feeder, because they're going to be there today. But this year, with the browse being as as lush and uh, nutritious as as it is, it's going to be a little bit tougher in early season. Land, so at the risk of sounding pretentious here, but I'm just chasing a theory through because I really like hearing so, like the deep south um, s- flat swamp hunters. Um, when you say swamp, a water oak rather, do you mean a true water oak or any of the smaller oak trees? Do you know the difference between those? Because I, I found in my end that the laurel oaks, the real long, thin leaves that, that just dump a god-off amount of acorns, they would just refuse to touch those until late season. Do, are you talking about like a spatiated or spatulated, as Matt would say, uh, leaf? Oh, God, I don't know. It's it's the wider leaf of the acorn. And it drops a little bit. Acorns are about the size of the end of your pinky. Yeah. Whereas those, I think the laurel oak, like you're talking about, is what we call a willow oak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the right name for it. It's a lot of people call them pin oaks. It's not a true pin oak. Um, but they got those tiny little acorns that are about black when they hit the ground. Yep. They, they, they drop a load on top. I mean, drop a dump on top. Uh, they, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, I've noticed, I've noticed if you have a really hard year, like with some good frosts late season, they'll, they'll be back in on those, but it's kind of like, 
you know, you're scraping the bottom, you know, what are we going to eat for dinner? And you find some white rice in the back of the pantry kind of thing. Like, you know, it was never your first, your first choice. Yeah. Peanut butter crackers. Yeah. It's, and it's odd because when you, you bite one of those water oaks open, they're a super deep orange, which I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that means they got a lot of tannins in them. So it doesn't seem like it's a preferred oak, but for whatever reason, those deer just hammer them. And it may be that it's just the only other option or the only decent option at the time. Whereas they could, I mean, we've got a lot of post oaks around here too, and they smashed those. And it's, you crack that open with your teeth and it's like more of a whitish yellow mm-hmm. light color, but it's, it's just a progression. Water oaks, post oaks, white oaks, red oaks, swamp chestnuts. And you just kind of work your way through the season based off what's hot at the time. Um, so, yeah. Matt, do you have any feedback as to why they prefer the water oak as the resident forester? They fall first. You think yeah. so? But they'd rather eat a water oak than natural browse sometimes. I mean, it's easy food source. That's, I mean, you could get into a very scientific discussion on it, but that's 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 Too what it bears down to, you know. <laughs> I was laughing earlier about how you. It seemed like Walter corrected the resident forester on how he, he said a forestry word. The spatulate, spatulate, spatulate. Yeah, yeah, you had it, man. Yeah. So that's what you describe like a regular, uh, an actual water oak leaf, like this more broad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's special. Yep. And and in that and the water oak, it has a, a couple of variations of leaves. Um, some of them will look like a little dinosaur foot with three three. I want to say lobes, but little humps on them. Um, and then some of them will only have two and so forth. Gotcha. The ones we have around here, they're. I mean, they grow near water, creek bottoms, stuff like that, and they just throw hundreds of acres a big one of just i mean it looks like you go in a parking lot that's oak with a overhanging oak you know there just be hundreds of acres and those deer have no issues picking them up they just sit there and gorge yeah the ground the ground will be tilled under them I, I, yeah. a lot of times in in late september early october i'll go to some of these wmas and I, on my on x i'll actually mark when that tree dropped last and it's about an every two year drop for me and if i find one that's got a lot of hot feeds sign underneath it i'll put in the notes what year that was and then i have a pretty good like cliff notes of which ones i can go back and hit the weirdest things is we'll have entire patches of trees here like entire acreage that just will not produce for five six seven years it's the damnedest thing i I, I've ne- I don't know what to do with it but um brett let's shift to you man early season you're sitting at home you're trying to figure out where you're going what's the strategy behind it what's going on i have something to say before brett starts go for it's it it's to brett it's to brett i want you to answer this question brett because this is like when you get to hunt this year right like like this what you how you feel right here has got to count Correct, because you're having a, you're having a kid. Oh, early yeah, season, prob- early season's what you got. Yeah, Ooh. early season's that probably out the window for me this year. But okay, so uh, you're not going to get to hunt at all early. You don't think? Probably not. He's coming. Okay. Yeah, because his kids is like right at the end of September, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was end of October. My bad. No, no, no. So it doesn't have to count at all. It can be total bullcrap, and we won't know it <laughs> until next year. Well, <laughs> like. 
my kind of strategy for early season has changed a lot over the past three or four years. And I will say early season is something I've struggled with with killing bugs. I've had no problems finding deer and shooting does and but just mature deer. I haven't necessarily done that. So in my area, the acorns don't start dropping typically until around that beginning of October. And I will go and try to check trees to see what's dropping and what the deer are hitting just like the week or two before season. And then the other strategy I've used last year, I found a spot that I could see pretty good ways and I took my saddle in and just attached one stick to the back of my saddle and went out about a mile or so out on public and ended up just getting in a little tree and doing observation sits with my binoculars and seeing where deer were coming in and out, where they were moving around and use that. Found a bachelor group of bucks, found a patch of woods that were kind of coming in and out of went over there and tried it last year and seen some does, but I never caught back up with them. So I'm using observation and then running in just before season to check trees. You know, they just started dropping within a week or two of when our season begins in mid-October. So it's kind of where I'm at with it. I mean, that sounds to me like you – like I'm kind of impressed that you caught up with the bachelor. You found a bachelor group of bucks in the places, like in the place, the types of places that you hunt. Um, we're not talking about giant, you know, ag fields and stuff like mm-hmm. that, where you can easily pull off observation sits and find bucks. Um, were you using like trail camera knowledge that you had of that bachelor group, or were you just going in and looking? No, just going in and looking. Typically, the place I like to hunt early season isn't a place that I normally hunt because I feel like I'm so in tune with the deer herd that that I chase all year that I do not want to kill those does because I've already figured out when they're coming in to heat and I'm trying to hunt those doe groups come rut. So I move to a completely different section of public and go in there and try to hunt it, you know, early season, the first three to four weeks or so, I would say. So I'm going in there and just glassing and walking and looking and all that good stuff. But then I'll transition back over to the place that I've, I really know and hunt. It's interesting. I mean, uh, I think I can relate with that. Uh, like there's a lot of places that I'll hunt. I'll hunt early season just because I can blow it up and like, it doesn't really matter, you know, cause uh, it doesn't, I'm not going to hunt it during the rut. Maybe it's a spot that I know there's a whole bunch of does. And so I spent a whole lot of time early season doing that. Um, I, I'm just, I'm still just kind of blown away that you, you just randomly set up and found a bachelor group in, in like Alabama swampland or, or I guess it's not swamp, thick pines, swamp, hardwoods mix. Is that pretty much where, what it is where you hunt? You don't hunt a lot of oh, hill yeah. country stuff. Hey, it's flat. Oh, well, I call it flat. It's still rolling hills and stuff in it, but it's not like the elevations like in central and north Alabama have, but it's a lot of swamps, uh, like SMZs or like heads of hardwoods with cutovers. 
stuff like that. I just kind of use some of them cutovers where I can glass and see. You know, just use I mean, what it gives me. That's uh, I complain a lot about, you know, this time of year in the month of July, uh, July and August, guys like Jake Bush going out and getting to go out and glass and find bucks to chase during the early season. And it just sounds like so much fun. Um, I, I guess again, I, I don't know why I've never thought about going out and just trying to do these observation sets, especially in like a clear cut, just seeing if you can pull it off in a place where you can get uh, a long ways away. And, and, and I think the thing for me that always kind of makes me nervous is that our deer are a whole lot more spooky um, than their deer. And so I feel like my presence anywhere that they could possibly see me, um, I just don't feel like it would it would work. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, I was looking for kind of more new cutovers, being yeah. hunting kind of timberland country, where I could see good, just somewhere totally different. Maybe I've had my eyes kind of a few things around. I think my whole deer are maybe good for early season, and I think I know I did a lot of it on Marco Polo with the Patreon group, but. I went out there. I think I had like three days off before the opener last year. And I went out and did some observation sits. And two of the three days I've had does walk right by me, like within 20 yards. And I couldn't buy one to come by me opening day. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that being a thing. I'm I'm friends with a guy named Clint, uh, Clint McCoy. And he's talked a lot about busting deer out on a bean field. Like he, he posted, I, I want to say it was last season about this one particular buck that would always come out every time he would glass and he'd just make his way straight to him, like almost like a beeline straight to wherever he decided to hit. And he'd see him and start blowing and run off and run all the deer everywhere. Um, man, I feel like that that's, that's mainly the reason I don't, I don't go. Um, I just feel like that. I'd do that every single time. Yeah, where I was glassing from was hundreds of yards from where I was planning on hunting. Yeah, because you can in a clear cut. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Landy, y'all have much opportunity for that over there? Not really. Everything's, I mean, we've got, where I'm at, we've got, it's like a little, kind of like a small delta. We've got a ton of ag around us, but nothing that really I can hunt. You know, you could ride all you want and glass deer up out of the truck, but nothing that I can hunt everything. I mean, the clear cuts are great, especially those that have big overhanging oaks that you can watch and catch those deer picking off those easy acorns. But that's another one of those things where it's like, you get, if they're not dropping, you know, other than the browse in there. Um, now come season when the acorns start falling, that was, if you can sacrifice an afternoon for an observation and then move in the next day, that's money. Um, but as far as like long range, getting a glass deer that I can actually hunt, I don't, I don't hardly have any of that over here. Yeah. I'm going to go watch about 40 acres of cane thicket, but yeah, <laughs> get you a big ladder, yeah, stand up on it. Uh, yeah. I was talking to Jake, uh, in one of the last episodes we did over on chasing tails and one of the things he says uh, that Southerners should consider is um, power lines. 
especially especially late summer. He said there are a lot of your WMAs, you'll have a gas line or a power line that runs down it. And he said, you, you don't have to have the highest end binoculars, whatever. Get your tripod and a little $10 mount and put it on there and just sit there. And he said, you know, okay, so maybe it's not actionable intel come October. But when those bucks are coming through that area in that early shift, when it's early on, if you can go in there and find that hot feed tree that's kind of close to where they're at, maybe it becomes actionable. And I started thinking about some of the areas around here. That's definitely a thing that I'd love to say I've been able to implement. I haven't. The summer's been chaos. But I'm looking to implement moving forward as some of that glassing in the summertime. Go out there for a couple hours and just right before dark, sit there and watch. Because I did that back in 2018-19, and I saw a lot of deer. I didn't see too many bucks, but I saw a lot of deer. And then I just kind of gave it up and gave up on that WMA. Um, And those areas are kind of harder to get to. You kind of have to walk, huff it to get back down in there. And if you can find that little hot feed tree early, it might pay off. And you, all you need is that last, you know, 45 minutes of light, last hour, you know, that you're not, you don't have to get out there at three o'clock like you're nope. going to hunt. It's in that last little bit of daylight when the highest movement really is. So don't listen bust it. Listen for gobbles. You're roosting them. Yeah. yeah. Kidding. I'm now, not doing now, We've got too many mosquitoes, horse flies, and deer flies. Dude, <laughs> I, do it, I, do it, I did it for my truck. I, I pull yeah. right up to that power line and I'd sit there in my truck. Well, I know you got to clean your, your windshield and that's, that's paramount, but I'd put Dang. my, I put my binoculars on top of my, um, steering wheel and I just sit there like this for a little while sitting in the AC, listening to the radio. I, I can do yeah. that. Uh, um, this, y'all talking about this with the thick stuff and with you being a ground hunter, uh, majority of the time land, like, this early season, like with with high vegetation count, like you said earlier, everything's green. There's there's green stuff everywhere. Does that limit you much? Like, say your first hunt and you go in on the ground, is that going to limit you on the spots you can hunt? Well, no, because I'm going to be focused anywhere I can get a shot within you know thirty yards. So it doesn't, but it makes it a little bit a little, a little hairier because with the ground being as soft as it is and quiet, a lot of the times, like you see a deer, you might hear a leaf crunch or a stick, but a lot of the time you're like, the deer is that there. Yeah. In front. Like if you look down at your phone or something, look back up, you might have a deer feeding mm-hmm. right there. So it's kind of a, you got to be on your A game. And generally early season is going to be mostly um evening hunts last two hours of daylight like i'm not going in at the typical setup you know for three hours be have everything comfortable i've got a lot of spots where i just go in i slide in and i'm set up ready to shoot a deer in like two or three minutes and then i'm catching that last little window of daylight and then sliding right back out as soon as it gets dark enough for me to move out safely yeah so yeah Thick, the thick doesn't bother me because generally that's where I'm hunting all year anyway. Right. Um, it's of being able to get set up for the shot. Mm-hmm. How- yeah. So, like, go ahead, Walt. No, buddy. Ch- chase your thought. No. So, like, like with me thinking, like, it, like I've, I don't ground hunt much. I ground hunt a little, but like, it's usually a, a, a gun hunt and I can, I can see a long way. So, I'm really limiting myself on what I can do. Um, but I know with, with all the leaf cover that helps you with your, with your hide too, I reckon, right? Absolutely. Most of my like early season, I've got a little pair of clippers or a pocket knife 
Mm-hmm. And there's like an abundance of that little river cane that's as big around as your pinky. You know, it's three or four feet tall. You just clip like a half dozen of those off and just cut them at an angle and just stab them in the ground in front of you. And you've got all the cover you need. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Backed up against an oak tree or something. Other places, it gets a little more difficult. Like I don't really hunt open hardwoods much because generally, unless it butts and you're like hunting an edge of the cover, there's just not a lot of movement in there outside of, you know, doe groups and stuff like that. But for those bucks, most of the time I'm like in a thick creek bottom because that's kind of my bread and butter early season like this is I'm going in early morning when it's still a little bit cool and I'm just walking creek banks, creeks themselves, looking at the crossings. And I'm, I'm marking every crossing I can. Generally, I like the lighter crossings because a lot of times those lighter crossings, like by lighter, I mean less tracks and less back and forth. That's going to be the bucks. The does, you know, they're going to look like a dang cattle trail coming across there because you put a half dozen deer crossing it one, maybe two times every day or so, and it just it blows it out in a couple of days. But that buck, he's slick. He can get in and out real quick, and it'll usually be him, maybe two more. If he's got a little group with him, but bachelor groups, I don't see them a lot over yeah, here. Like yeah. a big bachelor group over here is three bucks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so like, I guess, you know, me and Brett, I talked a little bit on scrapes. Brett talked a little bit on being in the bed and trails. You're, you're kind of early se- season tactic that you're looking for is creek crossings. It's just kind of what I, I collected. Is that right? Well, that's, that's my, my go-to starting point. Cause once okay. I wound up creek crossing, then usually if I'm in the ditch, I can see both sides a lot of mm-hmm. times. Like, okay, this is thick cover over here is oaks or maybe ag ground, you know, 400, 500 yards up this way. That's probably where they're headed. Um, so that's my starting point is that creek crossing. And if I can branch out from the creek crossing towards cover and get a little ground, like cover a little ground in between there, that's great. But a lot of the times it's not because yeah. like, Brett was saying it's most of it's SMZs in between mm-hmm. cutover pine thickets or whatever. So you don't have a, a big wide area to work with outside of that creek. So a lot of, I mean, several of my favorite spots, I'm actually sitting in the creek itself. No kid. Yeah, it's it's that's that's the best for me. It's perfect for controlling wind and outside of early season, you can hear those deer coming and you just back up against the bank and just get ready. So gotta get a vi- video camera on this. Oh, yeah. I got just got one before bow se- uh, turkey season started, and I videoed all turkey season. And I think I'm gonna go ahead and carry it with me for deer hunting. This that, year. That's awesome because it's it's it would make for some sweet video. But sounds like shit. like a pretty good rush too, like them getting in that creek with you and being being that close. Oh, it's perfect because every, just about, I mean, 99% of the deer, when they drop down, they drop down in the creek, they drop their head, get some water, and then they stick their head up. And I mean, as soon as they pick their head up from getting that first drink of water, that's when you pop them. And it's just like, it's, it's awesome. It is. Dude, I, I, I'm, I wanted, I want you to describe it better. So that's literally the only reason I raised my hand. Because uh, I've had you, I've had you on before uh and we've talked a lot about this about creek crossings and i just can't picture in my head 
for the type of creek crossing, the terrain, vegetation that I have here. Um, I just can you can you is there a way to more visually describe the type of creeks that you're talking about? Because like I'm I'm either picturing a really eroded deep creek or Oops. I'm picturing okay so. This is not like a little ditch. Okay. Like this actual, like a actual, what I consider a creek. Out west, they call them rivers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, it may be 10 yards wide, six, seven, eight feet tall. They're just big cut, basically drainages where these, where the, from draining into the river itself. In flat so, land. Well, we've got mostly the creek bottom itself's flat, but when you come up out of it, you get into bluffs and ridges and stuff. Okay, yeah, I I, I know what you're talking about, but are you talking more in the flatland of it? Yeah, or like, in the ridges. Yeah, in the river. Okay, bottom. I'm picturing it. I've been there, so I can I can yeah. kind of picture the type of creek that you're talking about. It, it's yeah. it's a lot more. It's a lot more. Um, Matt, this would make sense for you. It's a lot more. Uh, um. Creek like than what we have in the hill country, you know what I'm yeah, saying? I, I know what he, I know exactly what creek he's talking about because I had one of these and I've got like ten questions over here, but I'm just holding back. <laughs> no, I, well, I just I just want you to describe it too. I mean, in in your best words, land if you can. Well, most of they're like they're almost cookie cutter because they're everywhere up and down rivers. I've been to rivers all over the place: Mississippi River, uh, Big Black River, the Yellow River. Tom Bigby River, Tennessee River, all these little feeder creeks that come down into the river, they're basically big drains like that feed high water uh, into the river itself. So the banks get cut. They get really steep cut banks. And these deer use these lower areas. You, they're not a lot of them, but you'll find like in the backsides of bins in them and stuff, it'll kind of slope off. And that's where the deer travel is going to be. And then usually inside that bend or on the outside of the other side of it, there's like a big cut bank. And a lot of times, like there's a couple of them where you're actually sitting with there's tree over your head, like a root ball where yep. it's hanging, like sticking out over. And it's the perfect cover. Now you kind of got to get, it's a little, it can, it feels a little hairy sitting in there because you, I mean, it's dank and cool and there's spiders and stuff, but when you're We're in talking the early area, season snakes in the yeah, go running yeah. cotton regular. I mean, they're everywhere, but I, I they don't. I've been with them my whole life, so they don't really bother me that much. Um, but yeah, if you're scared of snakes, this is not the hunt for you. <laughs> <laughs> so you can you can turn it off now. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's awesome because a lot of the times you'll hear them coming, and you just get your bow up, and as soon as you see that nose. They usually stop right at the top of the bank, and you may or may not be able to see them. But as soon as they commit to drop down in the bank, that's your time to draw. And you just draw, and then they're going to drop down into the creek. They're going to walk right up to the edge of the water, take a couple steps in it, drop down to drink. Don't shoot them right there because they will duck you. Wait till they pick their head back up and let her let her rip. And it's so it's all awesome. you probably get a lot of. Uh... You probably get to draw your bow a lot, even if you're not. Yeah. It is an especially when you get like four or five does yeah. that drop beside you, and they're all sitting there like the fawns are running around, splashing in the creek, and the moms are sitting there drinking and all that, and you're sitting there at full draw. But 
I don't know. I'm only shooting um, 68 pounds, so and my bow is 80% let off, so it's not bad. I just kind of pinch my shoulder blades together and just breathe. And they're they're usually not in there too long, like a minute or two max, and they'll ease on out. I'm gonna be honest with you, boys. I mean, I've hunted plenty of creek crossings from a tree. I gotta kill a freaking. That sounds like such a rush, and I can compare it with one thing, and that is I. I I hunted a fence crossing in Texas before, and uh, the way I had this spot set up is I was actually faced away from the fence crossing, but I would hear these deer jump the fence. You'd hear them, you'd hear them jump up and maybe like tap the fence, the top of the fence, and then you'd hear them land. And it's like, oh, I don't know what it's going to be. You know, I got, I can hear it coming. <laughs> I have no idea what this is going to be. Uh, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a freaking rush. The only way it works, though, is you have to be on the downstream side of it. Okay. Because that's that, That's the only way. If you're on the upstream side of it, it doesn't matter if your wind's in your face, they're going to wind you. It's just, I don't know how it happens. I guess this, that scent hits the water and the water just carries it down. But mm-hmm. on the down current side, as long as you don't have like wind blowing up the creek towards them, you're good. It could be in your face. It could be coming down the creek. It could be over your back. Doesn't matter. You're good as long as you're downstream of that cross. Always water. Yeah. Are you are are you looking for a uh, creek crossing that has water? And, and I ask that because you know obviously water is either going to help or hurt your thermals depending on how you're using them. Um, so is that kind of like are you using this tactic because the thermal advantage is great? Well, that's part of it, but there's really, there's very few. I mean, I I don't know of any off the top of my head that don't have water in them. You know, okay. there's like creek bed, dry creek beds are just, I don't, off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Like even in drought years, they still got a little bit of trickle of water coming out of them. That I mean, to me, that just describes the creek even better because, I mean, I, I feel like at this point, I kind of have a pretty good visual of it now. Um, yeah, I've got yeah. pictures on my Instagram somewhere. You, I've got plenty of pictures because I just I fish in them, you know, hang out in the summertime in them, and usually there's a good sandbar sitting out at the mouth of them. So it's somewhere we hang out during the summertime. It's the water's cool coming out of that creek. Um, it's a lot of the times it's either sandy bottom or a like that. We got a lot of that limestone type stuff. It's real slick. Um, so you gotta be careful, but yeah, it's, it's usually there's, there's a couple of them that might have some muddy spots in them, but just deal with it. Yeah. Um, my biggest takeaway from this, I've, I've hunted some stuff similar, but from a tree and I've noticed that the bucks use a totally different trail from the does, uh, just from my experience. Are you, are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, usually it is. Now, every now and then you'll find one of those little spots that's like it might be a, a drain from both of the both sides coming up out of the creek bottom that those deer just naturally, it's like a little drain funnel, I guess you'd say. And uh-huh. you'll find those and that. But if it's like a, a long straightaway, which these are also fun with a rifle, if you, there's a couple of them that, that you can see 200 yards down it and there might be seven or eight crossings in that 200 yard stretch mm-hmm. up with shooting sticks and just keep your rifle up because right. during the, now they might, you might just see a, just a blur of deer coming across, you know, 
running, but a lot of the times they'll stop and get some water. But yeah, it's hit or miss a lot. Most of the time, like you're talking about early season, those lighter trails are going to be your buck trails. And you can, a lot of times you can see the tracks in the creek and stuff and identify what it is. Um, but those real super heavy ones, if there's not some kind of compounding feature, like a creek, like drainages, feeding out of cover into food, whatever, it's probably going to be does. Yep. See, it, this, this ties back into some of my scrape stuff that I was talking about earlier. Cause I, I found some of these crossings like you're talking about. And there was a, a, um, an early season scrape right off of it. And I hunted it and I had two bucks come in and before I could get drawn, they disappeared and they dropped into one of those little off drains, you know, off of the main Creek. And they just hit that and they were in the Creek before I knew it. And I, I couldn't get a shot. Now, if I'd have been in the Creek, like, like you, you're doing, man, I'd have been way ahead of the game right there. You know, just from, from an elevation and terrain standpoint, you know, there's not much, change right there but that little bit those deer are using to their advantage it's a huge advantage going in i mean you're quiet most of these spots are they're over my head high so i'm just silently slipping in getting set up and i can't tell you how many of them have i'm i've got to be within 100 150 yards of the deer bedded but they can't hear you they can't smell you they can't see you you're just there waiting to catch them coming across and it's not a guarantee you know um it's it's, you got to be on your a game and ready to shoot so i just i always i don't set my bow down i don't hang it on like a root i've tried that in the past and have a root hanging out and put a bow hanger on there and just set it up because as soon as you do that they're going to step out in that creek and you're going to be sitting there with your hands in your lap and looking at them Mm -hmm. i had one a couple of years well this has been probably 10 years ago and I was sitting in the creek, and this was a bigger creek. It was about 30 yards wide. I mean, it's a big, big creek. And I was sitting there, and it got to be like 4.30. This was during the rut, late December. And I had to pee so bad. Like, I couldn't hold it any longer. And I said, oh, I'm just going to walk right there to the edge. I should have just peed right there where I was sitting. But I didn't. I walked to the edge of the water, which was like 10 feet away. Started peeing in the water, and I look up, and there's a giant seven-point like 30 yards to my left, drinking water. And he picks his head up and he looks at me. And I, I'm sitting there, you know, drop trowel, looking at him. <laughs> Drops his head, gets more water and starts walking across the creek. So not, I said, I might as well go for it. I turn around, I walked, I didn't pick my head up. I turn around, grab my gun, threw up. And at this time he's still walking across the creek, threw up my gun, shot, missed. <laughs> I had a, I was shooting a shotgun with slugs and I didn't know any better. And I never sighted the gun in. I just, I said, oh, it's a slug. It's, and I'll just, it'll hit wherever the bead's pointing. I threw up while I shot the gun at a target the next day. And it was like two feet high and a foot left. <laughs> I got to say, that's the most Mississippi hunting story I heard in my life. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the, bro, I was so upset. I didn't at least like have a, so, I don't know how see me or think anything about it or but he just never even acknowledged that it i was there so land i had i had somebody tell me one time that the reason why being downstream on a creek protects your thermals is that the water's movement 
actually kind of tickles the air and cools the air in that same direction. And you have an elevation change. So you kind of have a natural pull down that Creek. There was an old fella I used to hunt with in Southeast Georgia. And there were a couple little spring fed areas that he would hunt. And he, and that's what he told me. I mean, it it makes good. I call it BS logic because you can't really like prove it, I reckon, but it, it kind of makes sense. If you think about it, if you have something cooler kind of pulling a certain direction, then naturally the wind might also kind of f- follow that same direction. Just figured I'd put that out there and get your thought. I've tried so many times to hunt above the creek. And if they're, especially early season, you get up out of that creek and the wind's just doing this. Like yep. it'll blow here. And then five minutes later, it's blowing over there and it's just swirling. You're blowing everything out. But you get right down in that creek and it's like a little vacuum. And mm-hmm. then it's dropping right down into it, going downstream. It's It's amazing how well it works. But there again, what are you talking about? Go ahead. I was just going to say there again. You got to you got to be on your game. And there's some spots well, can, where it's tall enough where you can stand up the whole time and kind of see above the bank. But I, I prefer to be set up ready for the shot with back against the bank when I come in. Michael Pike. Um, one time when we were hunting in in Kentucky, we were kind of dissecting this little spot together. And he was a ground hunter and I was not, I had not really ever been something that I've ever paid a whole lot of attention to. And, and we start talking about it and we decide I'm going to take kayak up here and here and hunt from the ground. But I learned a lot in the conversation because he was saying what he did a lot of times when he was hunting these Creek crossings is he would just get up and move. Like he, he would, he would hunt a pretty safe spot for the first part of the day for the first part of that hunt. And then once the thermals actually did shift, he would just get up and and move to where he actually had the shot advantage and everything. Is that something that you do as well? Not generally, because when I'm going in, I'm hunting like I I am not a guy that's going to sit all day. I'm not. I just can't do it. I've got too many irons in the fire going on in my head. Like I'm like, okay, I've been here for three hours, nothing's happening. Something's happening somewhere else. I got to go find it. You know. So most of the time, I'm hunting like. It may be, I might not go in till eight o'clock, but I'm hunting at 10, 11 o'clock. I'm moving or leaving, going to a totally different area. Um, and then in the afternoons, I'm like the last two hours. I want to be set up for the last two hours. And that's about it. Middle of the day, I've hunted, I've killed probably two bucks in my life outside of those first two or three hours in the last two hours. It's just, I, I don't, I can't, I don't have the patience for it. Well, again, that goes back to the very first thing I said, Land, is your your natural hunting style and the spots that you're drawn to or you're drawn to are not necessarily the midday movement spots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like it, it really is it, a ton of people kill bucks mid midday. Split shot yeah. was talking about how how most of his bucks had come from midday. Um, I think it was Split shot that was saying that it was. Yeah. Um, and but it, it's just all a difference in setup, right? And I think, to me, the ultimate superpower hunter can look at the situation and not be sold to one thing. You know what I'm saying? Like if I could, if I could make the super like a superhero hunter, he would be able to. That, I mean, it's just adaptability. This guy that 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 can that can learn in your area what you figured out in that type of terrain is that it works this way and obviously i mean land you've you've killed a lot of nice bucks um doing exactly what you do split shots done the same thing 
I just think it's cool. I like the difference of opinion. I, I want to reiterate that. I like the not opinion, difference in style. Um, yeah, more than anything. Of- there's a million ways to do it. At the end of the day, you, the book yep. is dead. You know, it sounds what you're describing to me sounds like turkey hunting. Honestly, it yeah. it's a, and and it it actually has a pretty sweet appeal. Um, I think to a lot of people. I saw, you do, I, if I sit for thirty or forty five minutes on a turkey, that's a long time. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Know. I think that's a lot of people get hooked. A lot of people get hooked on turkeys, and it's not quote-unquote boring to them um the kind of deer hunting you're talking about does not sound uh like patience is necessarily the the biggest virtue in that in that game it's figuring things out and maybe more more grit than anything right yeah freaking cool i want to go do that the blast man i'm telling you everybody needs to try it i gotta figure out ways to film it like that all over the country insta 360 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh i i killed a doe a couple years ago from the ground on a creek crossing uh probably sim- uh, probably after i talked to you land honestly it's probably when it was i was like that sounds like a blast um but it's still not the same it, we don't we don't have a lot of the type of the type of creek crossings that set up for what you're talking about you can hunt them and deer use them the same you know but uh what Most- you're talking about sounds like a freaking blast you know, it's like a lot of times you'll find a great crossing that sets up perfect with cover and food and all, everything lines up perfect, but there's no good spot to sit and you can't make a spot work like that. It has to be like created for death. You know, you can't, you can't go try and tuck in a blind on the side of a straight wall bank or something. It's just, it becomes too much of a eye catcher for the deer. And then you're busted from the get-go. It's, it's just you got to find those individual spots that set up perfect for killing rather than trying to make one work, no matter how good it is. If it's a great crossing and it won't work for sitting in the creek, well, then you either need to go left or right or north-south, east-west, whatever, on it and find the kill spot on that, that same area. Because there's somewhere in that area around that crossing to kill the deer from. You just got to exploit it. Okay, I I really I want to get off this. I do, but uh, I want one more um, little bit of intel on this topic. Land, we're talking early season activity. Uh, obviously, you said you you like to be in that creek crossing that's really close to bedding and tight to bedding. Um, do you do you find some correlation that bucks? tend to always go to a, towards a creek first after they get out of their bed. Um, does that make sense? Uh, like, cause where I'm at, it seems like a lot of the time they would feed more side hill and maybe make it to a creek crossing later. It's not quite as hilly where you're at, but do they have like, do you feel like that's like a first stop for them? And that's why you, why you've keyed in on those places. I think it's just naturally one of the first things they hit when they leave the bed because <laughs> they're bedded so close to them a lot of times. Most of them are bedded within 200 yards, 200 yards a long way, generally speaking, for early season. Um, so it just it just so happens a lot of these set up where there's, they, they just hit it not long after they leave the bed, you know, headed to feed or whatever. It, and it, 
and it's not like every buck over here is crossing a creek to go get food. You know? Right. Just there's a, a lot of spots that set up perfect for them to cross it. And it's a perfect, I mean, it's just clean, clear water. It's cooler than any of uh, some stagnant hole anywhere else. You know, um, I, I don't think it's that they're drawn to that water. As soon as they get up, I just think it's something in their way. It's just a convenient. That was probably better. Uh, that was that you answered the question, even though I asked it poorly. What I was going to say is, uh, what a better question would have been, I guess, would have been: Do you find correlation in, like, in proximity of buck bedding and these creeks? And it sounds like yes, because yes. of the advantage of the creek that the creek brings, and so it just seems like they're closer. Um, right. That uh, makes sense. A lot of our water oaks are in creek bottoms. Yep. So. Yeah, like cane break on one side of the creek with their bed and water oaks on the other side. And that could be that there's water oaks on their side too, but it's all just a, a game, you know. It's that's you gotta I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than you just keep trying until you figure it out. Um I've actually shot some from the creek that never crossed the creek. They were just I was the creek was my cover and they were feeding up outside of the creek. They dropped down off of a little bank or ridge where they were bedded up. We're feeding in that bottom, and I draw, stand up, shoot. Um, so you're not necessarily always killing them in the creek itself, but it's just a great, it's great access, great wind control, um, cover everything. Sounds like a blast. It is. He's, he's got me wanting to hunt from the ground. Brett, too, Brett had me feeling that way last year, and then you talked to land and, and you hear all the strategy behind the water i mean what's the number one thing we bellyache about down here is inconsistent thermals inconsistent breezes i mean he just gave us a master class on you know I, I can think of several places around here where that topography drops down really hard and you might have a really consistent uh push coming through there one of which is over where i turkey hunt i mean that that area could be diabolical with that creek running through it well i tell uh, you Creek, that wind, your thermals will not rise. It doesn't matter what time of the day is thermals rising on the hillside with the sun hits it. That, those thermals are still going to be in that creek. It's just so much cooler down next to that water. They never pull up out of the creek. Except I have seen a couple times, and you can see it on like a lake, um, where you'll see it looks like a little light fog coming up off of it. But that's also not moving water. You, if you notice, you'll rarely ever see that on a river. And if you see it on a river, it's because the lock and dams are closed on both ends and there's no flowing water. Because if that water's flowing, thermals are not rising. They're, they're just moving with that water. Mm. Mm. I just think everybody needs to try it. Just try it once. Well, you make butt next time you see me, but I do it, it every year. I try it. I mean, I killed it. I did kill a deer doing it. It was a freaking blast. But I struggle with the logistics of filming that crap. That's my biggest, that's the biggest hurdle for me is trying to figure out how to film it. Um, but, dude, it sounds like a blast. It sounds like fun. It sounds like something yeah. I'm going to have to do. Try it. Man, he's what? got my, my mind just like racing over here. I, we, yeah. We've, we've kind of hammered this to death. I'm just going to kind of echo the sentiments of, of what Lan said. My style, with the exception of the creek, you know, finding those hot feed trees that, that, uh, or whether that's a persimmon or 
a water oak early season whenever I can find a pinch point, an unconventional pinch point where that's just a, you know, we don't necessarily have creek bottoms everywhere, but where there's like a, a slough where those those persimmons might might find themselves and you have pines on either side and then a pinch through there. I have a lot of photos of, of deer and a lot of success both in in Florida, but also back in Georgia hunting those those little travel corridors because they can bed anywhere they want to there. And so if you have a hot feed tree with any of that kind of good security cover on the side, whether that's gallberry or tie tie bushes, you you tend to be able to slip in there pretty quick uh, and, and identify something that you're going to have action early and late. So uh, I don't have much else to add beyond that. You guys crushed it. The only thing I'd add is, um, you know, uh, there's a difference when you're talking early season. There's a difference between the guy who wants to go out and kill a deer mm-hmm. versus the guy that wants to go kill and kill a buck. Uh, I think the best time of the year to go out and kill a deer is in the early season. I really do. I think you're going to see more. You'll see more does. Um, you might, you might see more small bucks too in the early season. So if you're just trying to go out and kill a deer freaking, the only thing I would say is go find a hot feed tree and they're really easy to look into. Just walk through a whole bunch of oaks until you find one that looks like a bunch of deer ate all the acorns and you'll find the crunched acorns and the piles of dookie and all that stuff. Find it, set up over it, kill your deer. When you're talking about big bucks or bucks in general, I would say in that early season, um, I would one of the most consistent ways that I've I've been able to do it is by finding the feed trees that the buck has a rub on. Um, if I was just going to simplify it, find the feed tree that also has rubs around it, and that. It's almost—I'll be honest with you—it's almost been foolproof for buck sightings. They're harder to—they're hard to find. I'm not going to tell you they're easy to find. They're a lot harder than you would think. Um, and there's some other factors that go into it. Being close to bedding, being close to thicker cover, um, definitely will help your odds. I think. But I mean, you can go back. I've—I've I've posted a few videos, talked about it on a few podcasts in the past. Um, every time that I think it's about to not work, it ends up working like last light or something, I'll see a buck and it may not be a big buck. And that's what, that's the, the inconsistency, I guess of it is that it might, it, it just a buck. It's telling you that you're in his um, core area or some part of it. And I think it's a, a really important factor to figure out early season bucks. I couldn't agree more food sign with rubs, especially those little thrashed up bushes and shrubs and stuff yep it's just there's a there's multiple bucks there because they don't just generally speaking especially early season they don't just walk around and start killing um they're usually around other bucks trying to act really badass or whatever you know i mean and it's worked uh, literally there might be like one or two times that i can think of that i hunted a spot like that that had all the factors that had the fresh rub had the poop, had the fresh feed sign that I didn't see a antler deer. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I can't, I can't tell you all the time that it's going to be the biggest buck, but I can tell you that there's a buck somewhere close. And I think that early season, we're trying to find these consistencies, right. And, and things that are going to at least get people started on the right track. And for me, that's one of the most important factors for sure. And I think it works pretty much everywhere. And when you find one of those spots, as long as you've got light to do it, don't shoot the first buck unless you're just wanting a buck. 
we'll give it a minute because a lot of the times it'll be a couple of small bucks or either a small buck will come in and that bigger buck will be back behind him. But we've all heard that, but it's a very easy thing to do to just say, I want to shoot a buck and then shoot the first one that walks out. Well, I've done that before and he runs off and you look up and there's two bucks running off and the one with an arrow in him is substantially smaller than the one next to him that was coming in. So just, what, if you, I can't commit ahead. to that land. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say you had to. I'm just saying if you wanted a bigger one, because there's yeah. a, a in a nutshell, here's what I'm gathering. Y'all tell me if I've missed something. It sounds like the listeners need to find a spot that is a creek crossing that has a scrape on one side, a feed tree on the other side with a pile of rubs around it, and they'll have found the perfect spot. Yeah, you're guaranteed to kill a boner. Yep. Right there. You heard it here. Find that spot, boys. <laughs> you're going to find it. Go ahead and punch your tags. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. with that, Parker, we've got a little bit of housekeeping. We got carried away. That was some really good dialogue that yeah, just did. completely killed everything I had planned mentally, but in all the right way. Like that's the way you want a dialogue to go is just to unfold in that fashion. Uh, but we got to make some some shout outs to a couple other people before we wrap this thing up. Uh, first off, Joiner Die Knives. Uh, I'm told they make some of the finest knives out there. Parker, you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. And what I can tell you is, is in, in my incredible uh, proactive nature, um, we have not changed the code to uh, to get 10%, 10% off. It is still SG Hunt. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, I hadn't thought about it until now since the last time we talked about it live on a podcast. Um, but yeah, these dudes are awesome, man. Uh, they're, they're great. We've actually uh, got, got one of the guys with join or die that you heard maybe on the podcast that they were on, on Southern ground. Um, we're going to get them on real soon here. Uh, but James is uh, one of our, our newest Patreon members. And I believe you already gave him a shout out. Correct. Yep. Um, last episode, I believe. And James is like, it, it's, it's so cool. Like I, I love, working with him through join or die and also communicating with him um, through this Patreon and like him getting involved in the, in the, the conversations and they like, he's in his own unique spot in, uh, uh, in Richmond is where he's at and like listening to how he's kind of drawing the parallels, I guess, from these Southern guys to his place in, in Virginia and seeing that kind of come to fruition. Um, it's pretty cool, man. I love it. I love the community that we've created and how it works hand in hand with the companies like Join or Die, who are um, they're passionate hunters themselves. And uh, golly dang, craftsmen, like just absolute craftsmen. And uh, they make a heck of a knife, dude. There it is. You heard That's it here, it. folks. SG Hunt, save you ten percent until Here's I get that thing. changed. Parker, uh, I have that on my list this week to talk to them about changing. So uh, <laughs> you may have forgotten about it, but I haven't. Um, what you guys can't see right now is uh, before every episode, Allie paints eyeballs on Matt's eyelids. So that about this point in the evening when he starts to fall asleep, he's still for video when we go to video <laughs> at some point. <laughs> but it is. I got, past- my t- I got my talking in. 
<laughs> it's always about it's always about the 10 p.m. Eastern time that you start to see Matt start to think about that bed. And uh, that's normally because we've been having ourselves a good time on the podcast. And tonight was no exception. Land, thank you again for taking some time out your evening. Uh, this was a last minute deal and you hopped off the mower, put a fresh shirt on. And and uh, I think people are really going to enjoy this, dude. I really appreciate it. Hey, kid, dude. I'm sorry I was late, but I get I could get carried away out there. You know, he's passionate about his lawn. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're interested in any of our social links, if you want to find our YouTube channel or if you want to buy any of the merch uh, that uh, we have up on the website, it's all in the show notes. We make it really easy for you guys. And until the next time, Brett, what are they supposed to do with their fire? Keep it burning. (laughs) I normally (laughs) said last episode, last episode, I said throw a log on the fire. And you said that's how you burn down the forest and (laughs) kick some dirt on it. So. We'll figure this in and out here shortly, folks.